The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Morning, Crosspoint. How's everyone doing this morning? Okay. Last night, there was like half the people in the room, and they were way louder than that. So let's try that one more time. How's everyone doing this morning? All right. That's better. I'm glad you guys are awake. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm the student ministry director here at Crosspoint. It is awesome to see all of you with us today. Uh, it's my privilege to share the word of the Lord with you guys this morning, the scripture that we're going to be going through. So if you don't have a Bible, we've provided some on the floor in front of you. Go ahead and grab those, open them up. Join me in Acts chapter 7. We're going to be in verse 1. I'll give you guys one second to get there, and then I'll start. Only a second. That's all you got. Okay. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? This was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. God told him, leave your native land and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran until his father died. Then God brought him here to the land where you now live. But God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. God did promise, however, that eventually this whole land would, be, uh, would belong to Abraham and his descendants, even though he had no children yet. God also told him that his descendants would live in a foreign land where they would be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, God said, and in the end they will come out and worship me here in this place. God also gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision at that time. So when Abraham became the father of Isaac, he circumcised him on the eighth day. And the practice was continued when Isaac became the father of Jacob, and when Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs of the Israelite nation. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Justin. Yeah. So today, uh, you're not sitting in a church auditorium. Today, I want you to, for a second, use your imagination and go with me now to a courtroom scene. That's where we're going to find ourselves today. It's it's a courtroom scene. You'll see on the program there, you've got a, a note sheet uh, that you can look at. The, he, the head title there is indicted, Stephen. Stephen the deacon. We talked about him last name. His last name is not deacon. That wasn't his nickname, but he became a deacon, a guy in the church who was put in charge of all the food distribution stuff they needed to do for the orphans and widows and stuff like that. And he was uh, one of the key leaders there. And we're going to find out at the end of Acts chapter 6 that he starts getting in some trouble. If you don't like him, he's calling people out. There's these debates and discussions going on. And they bring him up on charges of blasphemy and treason for speaking against the temple and speaking against the Torah or the Bible. Now, for you and I here in America, that wouldn't mean a whole lot. People speak against churches and God and Jesus and the Bible all the time. Jewish people in first century, this was not just blasphemy, this was treason punishable by death. For the Jewish culture and Jewish people, uh, the, the, the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible were, were given to them, not just as religious writings, but Moses had gone on to a mountain called Sinai and God had given Moses these first five books of the Bible called the Torah and that was God's word to them, spoken directly to them by God. You didn't mess around with that. There was also the temple. And in the temple, again, for you and I, we have churches. You know, if you're newer here, you walk up here wondering, are we getting our oil changed or are we coming to church? Uh, based on what that looks like, it doesn't mean a whole lot in terms of the building itself. Back then, the temple was the 
the dwelling place of God. It was a place where uh, over the Ark of the Covenant in the inner sanctum of the temple, there was this fire, fiery presence of God that was manifest there and God's presence was actually there in the temple. You did not mess around with these things and Stephen is accused now of blasphemy, of, of treason, punishable by death and they call him out in the courtroom and I want you to see now Stephen not as some religious dude in robes with a big sash around it or something like that. Picture a courtroom drama. And Stephen's now, he's the defense attorney. Pig, picture if you want uh, Gregory Peck. Some, a few of you remember that movie. Uh, or or in, in A Few Good Men, Tom Cruise in A Few Good Men, the lawyer there. Or one, I think, one of the great courtroom dramas of all time, A Time to Kill with Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. I know I couldn't do it as good as he does, but... Um, and picture, he, he goes here, and what he does here, it's beautiful. It's chapter 7 of Acts. It's a lot of verses, and we're not going to look at the whole big, huge uh, defense presentation that he does there. But what he does is, what any good, whenever you watch a good courtroom drama or a good book, I don't know how it actually goes in a courtroom, not being a lawyer and not understanding how all that works, but a good defense attorney always goes on offense, Instead of being the defense attorney that's just defending and using the legal system to try to wriggle out of charges, the good defense attorneys go on offense and they become, they become prosecuting attorneys. And instead of just defending themselves, they're going on offense to prosecute the people that are trying to prosecute them. And he's going to come out of here, come out the gate, and he's not going to come out the gate swinging, talking about Jesus and Jesus' miracles and Jesus' teaching and the resurrection and the cross. He's not going to do any of that. He's going to eventually get there. He's going to come out just showing solidarity with him. He's going to come out talking about, hey, our God, Abraham, our God appeared to Abraham. And they're going to go, oh, Abraham. We all have that in common. Abraham is the, for those of you that are Jewish uh, amongst us, know that Abraham is the founder, the starting point of where the Jewish nation comes from. And so he starts there. And what he does is he gives like Cliff's Notes version of Abraham's life. We're going to go into more detail. We're going to click on like, if you imagine like a screen in front of you, click on Abraham. Instead of getting a little Cliff Notes version, we're going to click that and go to the big hyperlink that's going to get us to Genesis. Uh, so if you want to find Genesis chapter 12 in your Bibles, flip back over there. You can navigate there, your mobile device. We're going to be there. Uh, some things to point out here. Uh, to keep in mind of what Stephen is trying to do here as this defense attorney going on offense here. He says, you guys are so uptight about the temple and that's where God's presence is. Stephen's going to make the case over and over again that God's presence, you can write this down on that uh, note sheet today, God's presence will not be defined or confined geographically, culturally, politically, spiritually, financially, ethnically, or any other lee that you can come up with. He says, God's bigger than that. He will not be confined to just a little mm, Ark of the Covenant thing in the temple there. As important as that is, he's not going to be confined and defined by that. And then he says, going to tell them, you're so into the Bible, God's word, the word of God. And there was a real reverence and respect for it. But he says the, the indictment, not so much on Jewish culture, but the indictment on all of us, on humanity, is, uh, write this down, the message, God's message and God's messengers are usually ignored or outright rejected. 
That's what we do even here in the West. Even in, you know, one nation under God and gosh, all of us probably have at least a Bible or two at our house. We have the Bible, but oftentimes like, okay, we believe in it and have it, but do we really respond to God's message and God's messengers when, when they come with truth to us? He says, usually the indictment on the human race is that we usually ignore or outright reject what God is, is trying to get us to see and do. So let's get now to Genesis chapter 12. Uh, if you have a pen or a pencil, you're going to want it. I'm going to have you circle and underline, make some arrows to things or some important things that come out of these verses that you're going to want for later on when you're going back and look at this. And we're going to look today at several key highlight events in the life of Abram. You're going to see here his name is Abram to start. He becomes Abraham later. Abram just means father. Abraham means father of many. So because he has no children yet, he can't be Abraham. He's just Abram, and which is still kind of weird, like, okay, the joke's on me because I got no kids yet. But we'll see about that in a second. Um, verse tw- uh, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So, Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him, Lot's his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Now, some of you guys are here like Haran and, and Stephen in his opening speech says Abraham, God called Abram in Mesopotamia. You and I hear that and go, Mesopotamia, whatever. It doesn't mean anything to us at all. Mesopotamia is where today you would find modern day Iran and Iraq. For those of you that have paid attention to the news at all, at all in your lifetime, what do people from Iran and Iraq think about people from Israel and vice versa? No, it's in their, some of their founding documents. Our mission is to wipe you off the face of the earth. And God goes and finds somebody who's not seeking for him, who's not church of him. He's a pagan guy from Iraq and Iran, idol worshiping, not seeking the one true God at all. And God calls out to him and, and comes after him. And he says, you guys think it's all about the presence of God. It can be, is just here in the temple. He says, no, the presence of God is not going to be confined to the temple Presence of God goes everywhere. On your note sheet today, there's some things to, implications that to write down for us. It's such good news. That God meets us where we are and always leads us somewhere else. God meets us where we are and always leads us somewhere else. He didn't tell Abram, if you get to the land of Israel, then we will talk. He says, no, you're here over here in Mesopotamia. We'll start with you over here. He tells him, look, we're not going to keep you there. We have a different place, have a different identity, different place you're going to go. Start with that Mesopotamia. For some of you, for some of us, that's exactly what your journey has been. God met you in the midst of divorce. God met you in the midst of adultery. God met you in the midst of addiction. God met you in the midst of seeking another religion, another spirituality. New Age, Buddhism, Confucianism, um, different faiths. You, you, God met you there. God met me um, in a pretty legalistic, hyper-legalistic religious 
background. And there were some good things about that, I think. I'm still trying to figure that out. But God had to take me from there to get me to where he wanted to go. That's the journey. God's going to say, I've got some place I want you to go. And it's fascinating here. When, if God ever shows up to me and says, Steve, I want you to leave Temecula uh, and, and go somewhere, my first question is going to be, where are we going? Where? And you'll, you'll notice here, God says, uh, I'm not going to tell you where it is. I, I will show you when you get there. This is the crazy journey of, of what it means to become a Christian. Some of you are going, well, I'll become a Christian. I'll follow Jesus. I'll come to church. I'll do all this stuff. But I want to see the outcomes first. God goes, never going to show you the outcome. Some of you would not follow me if I showed you the outcome. Some of you would not believe the outcome. So you just follow me. And you follow me. And I will show you when you get there. Uh, second thing to write down here is we have no idea where it all ends up. We have no idea on that journey of discovering and following Jesus, which we're all about here at Cross Point, you have no idea where it ends up. It starts over here, and it, it's crazy, and you think you get it figured out. And about the time you think, okay, I know what God's doing here. Shoot, uh, March of 2020, for those of you who are newer to our church, March of 2020, we had signed contracts, legal documents to spend several thousand dollars putting together an agreement to buy a, new, uh, buy a church campus here in the middle of town that was all locked and loaded. We had all the financing ready to go. And then March 12th hit. And the COVID shutdown happened and that whole thing went. And we thought we had, it all, we had things figured out. And God just looked at us and went, <laughs> sure you do. I love here. It talks about it. It says um, in verse 7, Chapter 12, verse 7 says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram. He'd been traveling all over the place, getting someplace, and he got to the land of Canaan, which is today modern day, the region of Israel, and, and, and said, I will give this land to your descendants. It's not his land right now. He doesn't own one square inch of it. And then I love what it says here in verse 9. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages toward the Negev. The next thing to write down here under this first little section of let's go is we get there in phases and stages, not all at once. Not all at once. This is important for some of you that are just starting out the journey. You're going to get impatient with God going, come on, we're doing things right. How come we're not there yet? We become like the, what, the four or five, six-year-old children in the backseat with God going, are we there yet? 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 And this is important for also for some of us who are working with people to be patient, to go. They're going to get there in phases and stages. They're not going to be bam, zap there all at once. In their marriage, in their spiritual journey, in their financial recovery, in whatever the, the stuff is where they were when God called them, God did not take Abram and go boom, zap, and just get him there. He got there in phases and stages. That's how it's going to be on our journey. We're not going to get there all at once. So be patient with yourself. What that means is from time to time, you're going to do some things and you're going to be doing it right and from time to time, you're going to screw it up. You just will. You're going to make a mess out of things. In marriage, <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm recounting several conversations with several of you that I've had over the years where we've sat and talked about things and we had a plan going forward and you did the plan for a while and then the pain stopped and it got better and you reverted back over here again. And then we met again, phases and stages. This is how it always always goes. Um, flip over to chapter 15 now as the story continues. 
chapter 15. Uh, something to note here right now, it doesn't explicitly say in the verses that we're reading, but when God first speaks to Abram, just says, I'm going to make you a great nation. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. He is 75 years old, married to Sarah, who's about 65 years old, and they have no children yet. Now, people did live a bit longer back then, so it may be that, you know, that there, was, there was maybe still some hope there. But at 65 and 75 with no kids, my name is Abram. I'm the father of I'm a father, and he's going to be, his name's going to be changed to Abraham, which means father of many nations. This is a little silly, a little sarcastic. Chapter 15. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram. When God tells you to, to not be afraid, what, what's true about you in that moment? You're scared out of your mind right now. Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, this is what we do all the time. God's promises, God says, I'm there for you and all that. Oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a, a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. You ever done it with God? You've acted like God's consultant, like God's made a promise to you about your marriage, about your family, about your finances, whatever it is. Okay, God, let me just kind of work this out for you. Let's do a brainstorming session, me and God, about how you're going to fix my marriage. And, and I've done this in my prayer. I'll start praying to God and go, and then it'll be like, this could happen, then that will happen. Then if you do that with my kids and they can meet somebody over here who will reach out to them and, and there's somebody else over here in the situation where marriage is struggling and they could get in that. You start brainstorming with God and God just goes... But this is normal for us. The promises of God, and yeah, I don't know about this. And then we see some amazing verses here. This is the, the core of Abram's spiritual journey. It says, then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord took, watch this, Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars <laughs> if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot for you and I living here in cities where you look at the stars, you can go one, you can count about you know, 250 or 60 stars. You get out into the wilderness someplace where there is no lights, no nothing, and you look up there, it, you can't count it. The, the sky is lit up. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. And the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. This is the journey, the promise of God. The promise of, of God is this, is that it is not, when it, look at the verses here. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his some of you have your Bibles out. What's that next word? Faith. Faith. It, it, it deeds? Has he done anything? He hasn't done anything yet. He doesn't know anything yet. He doesn't know what the rules are. There's not even a law or a Bible given yet. God calls out to him and says, go where I want you to go. And Abram does it. And then God says, here's the descendants you'll have. And it says, and Abraham had a moment ago. I, I believe that, no matter what. 
and I'm going to trust my life to this God. Look, for a couple things here. Belief doesn't mean just believing certain things to be true. Satan and demons believe that Jesus is God and that Jesus died on the cross and all that. It's a sense of belief in my soul that I'm, I'm entrusting myself to this God who has responded to me. And here's the deal. It's always by faith, not by religion and rules. And for years and years, I thought what the, what the, the way the Bible was laid out was that in the Old Testament, it was about rules. There's the law, there's the Ten Commandments, and there's 613 more rules and regulations and ceremonies they did in the temple and go, that's what it's all about. That's how you got right with God back in the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes, and now it's no longer about rules. It's about faith and grace and all that. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's just not true. The truth is it's always been about faith and grace, always from the very beginning. In your Bibles there, there's that phrase there. It says, Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous. Highlight, underline, circle that, put an arrow up from that and just write the word justified in your Bible. Some of your Bibles might even have, though, if you have the ESV or the NIV or different Bibles like that, they'll just put the word justified there. And what, what justified means is that you're made right with God and that righteousness God's righteousness has been, here's a big theological word for you, imputed to you, has been imparted to you, has been, some of the Bibles will use the word credited to your account, not your righteousness. You do not get right with God because you got right and you're good with God. You don't stand before God right with him because of your righteousness. You stand before God getting right with God because of God's righteousness that when you believe him, he says, I'll take my righteousness and like in a legal term, download that to your account. And when you stand before, before God as a follower of Jesus, God doesn't look at you and see your righteousness. Thank God. He sees the righteousness of Jesus, what it means to become a Christian, what it means to get right with God. It's always by faith, not by, by religion and rules. And I want to encourage some of you today who are not yet Christians, not yet followers of Jesus, to say today's the day to close the deal with that. You're not a Christian because you come to church. You're not a Christian because you're born in America. You're not a Christian because you're born in a Christian family. You're not a Christian because you were born Catholic, baptized Catholic, baptized Methodist, confirmed as a Baptist. You're not con None of that stuff makes you right with God. You may be right with God when you say, God, I believe what you did for me 2,000 years ago on that cross counts for me today to square the deal with you, to make me right with you. I'm not right with you right now. What you did makes me right with you, and I believe that. And so when that happens, righteousness is imputed, is counted as righteous. You're credited to your account. I want you to see some verses about this over in Romans. Uh, keep something here in Genesis. We're going to come back here. The book of Romans, as you go towards the back of the Bible, Gen uh, Genesis, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. You can navigate there in your mobile device and just find R-O-M, probably in the table of contents. There's going to be a lot of verses we're going to read here, so... Pay attention. And I know your football team is playing an important game right now. <laughs> Pay attention. Look at verse 11. Have your pen or pencils out. You're going to want to see. God's going to speak to you about things that you never saw before here as we read this together, as I read it for you. Look at verse 11. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham had already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he's circumcised. Now, Stephen talks about this when he's up there making his big legal defense in front of the, the court. I don't know why God chose circumcision 
as the sign to say that's how we're going to know who the Jewish people are. I, we could debate that and discuss that and get a little goofy and silly about that. We're not going to. God, that's what he said. Uh, there's all kinds of speculation about that. But God declared him to be righteous before he had gone through the Jewish ceremony of circumcision. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. What Paul is telling us here is it doesn't matter. Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't matter what your background has been. You get right with God by faith, not by keeping the rules. Clearly, verse 13, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. I have those verses. I just bolded those in my Bible with my pen and just wrote over those, that, those words right there. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. Paul will repeat this same theme Write this verse down in your note sheet, Galatians 2.21. Paul explicitly says this way. If righteousness, if right standing with God could be gained by obeying the law, then Christ died for nothing. This is then Jesus is a waste of time. What are we doing here? If, if one person on planet Earth could have made themselves right with God by their actions, by their religion, by their spirituality, he says you can't. You'll never do it. So the promise is received by faith. It's given as a free gift. And we are all. You know what all means? Everybody. It doesn't matter how jacked up and stupid and ridiculous you've been in your life. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you the most evil kinds of sin that human beings have done. If that's you, all means you. Certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses if we have faith like Abraham's. What he's saying here is before the law came, Abraham got right with God before obeying any laws because there was no law given. The law didn't come for several hundred years till Moses came along. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That's what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he'd become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you'll have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. You know what he's saying there? Not even the pills are going to help Abraham. And even if there was pills, and even if there was, you could go to hymns or whatever. You see all the commercials you have to explain to your children. Oh, what is that, Daddy? Uh, all that kind of stuff. They're all over TV right now. Sarah's change of life, she was physically impossible for Sarah to have children. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises despite my circumstances, no matter what's going on in my life. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. There's that word again, justified him, made him right with God. It wasn't, and when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. Now picture the courtroom scene. 
whoever you want it to be. This is a you-can't-handle-the-truth moment right here, right now. Recorded for our benefit, too. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Bam! Just lays it out there and, and, and tells us there, it's, it's always by faith, it's not by religion rules. Now, I want you to see something here. This is Abraham's story. He believes God. God counts him as righteous. We're in chapter 15. Yeah, Abraham believes God. God counts him as righteous. But uh, verse 6 Faith is always followed by verse 8, doubt. Look at verse 8. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure I'll actually possess it? You ever been there? You're trusting God. You get all fired up at a camp, at a retreat. You hear an awesome message here, the awesome band here, all fired up for things, and you walk out and go, okay, I made that commitment to Christ. I said I should, if, how can I be sure this is actually going to work for me? Now, we see a beautiful thing happen here. Verse 9, the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Now we're reading that going... What in the world is going on here? Back in that culture, before they had pens and pencils and computers and notaries to certify things, they, they would make covenants, contracts with each other. And in order to, to certify it as official, they, 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 back in, in ancient writings, it says they didn't say they didn't, it doesn't say they made a covenant, it says they cut a covenant. You know where the word cut comes from? Right here. Animals. And again, they would humanely slaughter them. And I know it, that's a tricky thing for us in the modern day West and all that, but they would humanely slaughter them and then cut the bodies in half and lay them top half, bottom half, all the way down. The bigger the covenant was, the more significant it was, the more animals you would have out there. And then when it came time to say, okay, well, these are the terms of the agreement and here's what we're going to do is the two people who are making the covenant would then walk between the two halves of the animals. And in walking through there, what they were declaring was this. These animals' lives bear witness to this. And if I break the terms of this covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. May God literally rip my business apart, rip my life apart, rip my I'm, I am absolutely committed to this. He would go through there. And so there would be the two people. They would usually put one hand on top of each other, kind of walk through that, that place together. Now, big question for you, those of you who are paying attention here, not checking the scores of the game. What's Abraham doing right now? Sleeping. Look what happens here. The animals are all laid out there. Look at verse 17. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and flaming torch. This is the presence of God passed between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day. What's wrong with this covenant? Abram's asleep. This, this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You were asleep terrified in the darkness of your sin, 
could do nothing to make a covenant with God, to make it right with God. God says, I'm going to do it all myself. This is what's called unconditional salvation. You don't do anything to make yourself right with God. It's not like, okay, God, we're going to walk through this together, and you do your part, and I'll do my part, and we'll hope that you know, our part's working together. You do nothing to make yourself right with God. And this prefigures and, and, and shadows a time when God would cut the ultimate covenant with us. And it wouldn't not be animals laid out on, on a hillside. It would be the Son of God body ripped apart on a cross. We, we were standing there, dead, asleep, running away from him in fear. And God makes this covenant of salvation with us. Write this down today. When it comes to God's promises of salvation, it's not about you or up to you. And we say this all the time here. It's not about you. It's about him. It's not about you. It's about him. And some of you go, well, I want it to be about me a little bit. Look, you don't want it to be about you. Because if it's about you, it's up to you. And if it's up to you to get yourself right with God, I'm telling you right now, in no, and I can't put it, you're done. You're finished. You, have, you are hopeless. But you don't have to be hopeless because you didn't have to do anything. God says, you do nothing. You come with empty hands, sit there terrified in darkness and asleep, and I'll cut this covenant with you. Here with Abraham, he does it, ultimately finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus on, on the cross. And then there's something about timing here that's fascinating. Look over at chapter 18 now. In chapter 18, God has changed Abram's name to Abraham. He says, no longer will you be the father Will be no longer you just Abraham will be the father of many nations. Abraham still has no children. And we know from the context here, other verses surrounding here, Abram is now 99 years old and Sarah is 89. If you paid attention, 75, he was 75 when God first appeared to him. How many years have gone by now? 24, 25 years later. Think about you. If God waited 25 years <laughs> to come through for you, our church would be empty today. We don't, because we are, boom, you know, we get drop shipped to Amazon. Now you could order something right now and probably have it at your house by the time you get home today. Crazy. We're so instant gratification. Give it to us now. And God says his timing is so different than ours. Look at this. In chapter 18, he's sitting out there in his tent and Abraham sees three sojourners, pilgrims coming towards him. He invites them into his tent and they sit there and talk. We find out later this is actually God manifest as a human being there, perhaps with some angels. Look at verse 9. They're sitting in the tent. Where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. Uh, she's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children, so she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why'd Sarah laugh? Why'd she say, can an old woman have, let me have a baby? Underline this next line in your Bible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. She kind of, you picture, she in the tent, she peeks out, I didn't laugh. And the Lord said, no, you did laugh. And it kind of ends there. And here's the crazy part about this. This is the sarcasm, the irony of this whole story here. They are going to have a son. His name will be Isaac. You know what Isaac means in the Hebrew language? He laughs. 
You laughed about this? You think here's the joke's going to be on you? You're name your kid? He laughs. Write this down today. God often takes too long. When it comes to your and my timing, God often takes way too long. Now, I'm, that's not true, but that's how it feels to you and me. We're waiting for God to fix something in our marriage, in our finances, with our kids, with our health. And we're going, God, you said this, and I, we've started this, we've trusted you, we've, we've done Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, and we've gone through all the steps, and how come it's not happening? We've gone to marriage counseling, we've come to church now for five, six, eight, ten weeks, whatever it's been, five, six, eight, ten years. God often takes too long. You're going to find out that Abraham's going to have a son, uh, Isaac. Isaac's going to have a son, Jacob. Jacob and his sons are going to end up because of famine down in Egypt, and they're going to be enslaved there as they grow as a nation for four 130 years before they ever come back and have the Exodus and the Red Sea and come back and, and come into this land of Israel. Think about that just for context wise. In 1620, the pilgrims landed on Plymouth Rock. For those of you who paid attention in history class, 1620. And this is going to be a great nation we're going to have here. And imagine if it took 430 years for that to happen. Do the math in your head we still wouldn't have seen America happen yet as a nation. It's still 2050, 2060 when all that would have happened. God's time frame is nothing like ours. And then God makes the promise to Abram at 75 years old and says, you're going to be the father of many nations and doesn't have a child. And at 99 years old, still does not have a child. And he thinks, what's the point? See, see who I want you to see today. I told you, you had you write down, it's not, all, it's not about you, so it's not up to you. And many times it's not even for you. Sometimes what God is doing here in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your finances, in your life, what he's doing here is, get, like, we're going to break the chain right here, right now. Uh, write this down here. God's dreams for you are about legacy, not just livelihood. Not just about how he's going to bless my life right here, right now. Some of what's happening is some of you came from jacked up, screwed up, messed up family backgrounds. And God saved you, and God's going gonna to do something different for you here. He saved, restored your marriage even out of adultery, out of unfaithfulness, out of just uh, whatever it is. Whatever that thing is where God saved you, what might be happening here is God might have saved you, and certainly he's going to bless your life and all that, but the truth is the results of this are not going to be seen until after you're long dead and gone. It might be your great, 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 great grandchildren. They're going to be the recipients of you broke the chain here and something new started right here. Abraham, when he died, you know how many kids he had? Really? Two. I look around and go, there's the stars in the sky. Two. Great nation, huh? And the land, I'm going to, I'm going to give you this land as your possession. When Abraham died, he didn't own one square inch of it. It was 430 years later that was going to happen for him. And that's so good for us to know because in a hyper-personalized and hyper-individualized way we do our relationship with God, this is important for you and me. We have so, in the West especially, it's my own personal relationship with Jesus. And it certainly is. It's supposed to be very personal, but sometimes we give it, it gets so personal, we think it's all about me and right now and my business and my family, all those kind of things, that kind of stuff going on. He's going to tell us, oh no, sometimes it's not about you. It's not even going to be for you. I'm going to do something beautiful, magnificent, and amazing in your life.
God's dreams for you. And so I wonder today, is there a time for you, is it time for you to learn from Abraham's life and go, hmm, what's God calling me to do? What's that step of faith he's calling me to? Maybe it's to become a Christian today, to say yes to Jesus, to, to say, God, I don't know what this means. I don't have it all figured out, but you've called me to follow you, so I'm saying yes. I believe what you did for me 2,000 years ago counts for me today on that connection card that they had you fill out. Jot us a note about that. I want to talk to you about that. Find me after the service is over today. Let's chat out in the plaza or out here on the stage, whatever, and just let, let's get together on that. Some of you have never been baptized as Christians. And I always hear the excuses, the reasons. Well, I don't know, Steve. What about this and ah, this and my hair up there and my makeup and ah, all those people. God said, if you're a Christian, go public with that faith and get baptized. We can do it right here in the pool. We can do it in your backyard. We can do it in somebody's backyard, jacuzzi, whatever that is. And then on my way here uh, to church this weekend, I was kind of brainstorming, thinking through some other things we should talk about, other things we should say related to uh, where God might be asking you to step out. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, shut up, Steve. You just be quiet and let me speak to them. Because I'll brainstorm a bunch of things out here and, and won't give the Spirit time to just sit there and just poke and prod at you. What's he asking you to trust him in? What is that thing uh, today for you? As the band comes up right now. As the band comes up, there's one great story in here that I'm really surprised they didn't, Stephen, the guy who's making this big speech, doesn't include. He talks about God's call to Abraham. He talks about having a son. He talks about the, the promise of land. He has a son named Isaac. And Stephen doesn't put the story of Isaac in there. Stephen, the deacon, doesn't consult with Steve, the pastor, to tell him what he should have put in there because it's a great story. Isaac is born, and Isaac yeah, grows into being like a young man, and God appears to Abraham again and says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son who you love, up to the mountains up there and sacrifice him to me. Now I hear that and go, the words that come out of my mouth would not be spiritual Christian words. About that time, go, God, I have done this your way, done with you. But Abraham just goes, packs up things, takes him up there, up on the mountain, lays him out there on this altar that he forms there and takes a knife and puts the knife to his throat. He's going to follow through on what God told him to do. At the last moment, God stops him and says, oh, Abraham, this is a test of your faith. I was never going to have you kill your son. And he said, but look over there, over there in the bushes, there's a lamb. Take your son off the altar. Put that lamb on the altar as the substitute. Again, you can see the parallels here. This is exactly where we were. We were on that altar, dead in our sins, lifeless, going to be executed for us, whatever that was. And God says, over there, there's a lamb. And that lamb is not a physical lamb. It's the lamb of God, Jesus, the son of God, sent to take away the sin of the world. And that's what we celebrate today as we come to the, this time in our, in our service, in our gathering here. We're gonna sing some songs to Jesus and about Jesus. And the band picked these songs. I don't even know if they knew what I was talking about today, but they so perfectly express all this idea of when you say no, when you tell me no, I'm just gonna follow... I don't know the lyrics. Just listen to them. Sing them along with us. Let it be the declaration of your heart. Our prayer team is in the back. You need prayer for anything today that's going on in your heart and your life. Go back there and talk to them. Let them pray with you. And then we invite you every week to come to tables of communion in the four corners of the room. There's bread and juice that's there. The bread symbolizes the body of Jesus. The juice symbolizes his blood. 
And Jesus said, I want you to remember me over and over again. And here's the crazy thing, guys. We, we do that to remember the Lamb of God that was our substitute. That we didn't have to be killed and slaughtered on a mountain because Jesus was and absorbed the wrath and judgment of God for us. And it's weird. Over the years, uh, a few times we've talked about the idea of what if instead of passing the blue buckets through here at the end and you drop your connection card and you're giving in there, uh, what if we just put the buckets at the communion stations and you come there and just bring it there? It, it, makes, it simplifies things. And we thought, no. Nah. Because what starts to happen there is, well, if I bring my stuff here, then I take communion here and go, we don't want you coming with anything. I want you to come with empty hands to say that everything I am today is because of the grace and the mercy of God who gave himself as a substitute for me. So Jesus, today, I'm asking you by your spirit to say, convict, rebuke, encourage, whatever that is you want to say right, right here, right now in these next 10, 15 minutes together. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.